and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I mean, things are very, as I talked about last week, things are still crazy in my in my life. But uh, not to bring things down right to the beginning, um, things are also very crazy in the world. That uh, Yes. In between us recording our last episode and that episode posting, I always feel terrible when that happens, when something awful happens in between. Mm-hmm. And then we post an episode that's like, what are the summer hey, movies? Like, hey, gang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, in between us recording the last episode and the ended posting, um, there was a uh, mass shooting in, in Buffalo that, that targeted um, uh, a, a grocery store in what was otherwise a, a underserved food desert type of um uh, african-american uh neighborhood um uh, obviously there are a lot of things that are are um terrible about this shooting but one of the particularly galling things is this was the place that this community uh could go for for fresh food for to, yeah. to provide for their families and 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 you know the uh, a grocery store a market is a center of a of a community it's a it's it's a hub and um the shattering of of that sense of community is uh, on top of the the mass murder is uh has been infuriating me to no end um and so whatever small things we can do about it here on battleship retention basically we've done this uh sadly a number of times when terrible things have happened in the world yeah but uh we've decided that through the month of june starting now through the month of june buy any premium content, buy our book, anything we have for sale. And uh, we won't see a dime of it. A hundred percent of those proceeds will go to the Buffalo community fridge uh, to, to try and uh, uh, keep this neighborhood in at, at the very least uh, have some, some accessibility to, to, to healthy foods. So uh, Buffalo community fridge, donate on your own if you want, but if you sure. also want to get some, uh, Battleship Pretension content, content or a book and, and uh, 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 support the Buffalo community on, on top of that. Yeah. Uh, 100% of our proceeds uh, will, will go to the Buffalo community fridge through the month of June. So wanted to say that right off the bat and then also awkward transition, I guess, but we do it at the top of every episode. I said, type out our sponsor. Our sponsor is yeah. tweaked, tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives today. I was listening to the new album by a, uh, uh, a black metal band from Quebec, a Quebecois black metal band oh. called incandescence. Their new album is called the core de l'homme, which means the heart of man. I think, hmm. um, I don't know any French, uh, other than the like three weeks of Duolingo I did before I went to Paris in 2019, sure. which did not help. Yeah. You, uh, three, three weeks, you, you gotta, you you gotta commit to a little bit more than three weeks of Duolingo <laughs> to, to prep for a trip. But I do know the core de l'homme, uh, probably means the heart of man. And I know that incandescence is a good band and it sounded great on my tweaked earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension. David, wait, hang on. Oh, okay. Before we go to commercial. Yes. Cause I was using my tweaked audio, uh, oh, uh earbuds no. today, um, <clears throat> to listen to, there are a few like audiobooks that I've listened to multiple times just because they're fairly disposable. And I usually listen to them in between m- more important books. Um, and so I was listening to uh, Peter Benchley's Jaws 
again, I've read it before and I've listened to it like a couple of times and it's just very, it's just a very easy book. Um, but as I was listening to it, I was, it's something about it made me angry and I had no one to talk to about it. So I'm throwing it out to you. And (laughs) when we introduce our guest, he can chime in as well, but only then guest. Um, but we have to take a break before what's up. Oh yes. Yes. Finish this. Um, we have to like insert an ad break. Okay. Behind the scenes here. So as I'm, as I'm listening to this book and as I read this book, um, you know, it's jaws deals with a big shark. And, uh, and the characters, okay. So the narration will often say like, oh, the great fish did this. Okay, great. You're being poetic, whatever. (laughs) But like so many characters keep referring to it as a fish. Now it is a fish. I can't think of a single fucking person in the world that would ever, when talking about a shark, would would regularly refer to it as fish much less everybody in this community like they say shark from time to time but they just keep talking about it they keep saying fish and i was like this is this is madness now granted i live in a post jaws world so maybe the idea of a shark being a a this a unique kind of fish that deserves to be talked about on its own terms maybe that's a function of jaws the book and the in the the movie but as I'm listening to this and as characters keep saying like, Oh, the fish just kept, kept hitting the guy. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's a shark. Why wouldn't you say shark? You're trying to differentiate this well, or maybe you're not. I don't know. It bothered me so much okay. and I'm not really sure why. Well, let's get back to that in a second. Okay. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home. Isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, we're back. Okay. I hope you enjoyed uh, whatever ad just played, and I hope you had time to ruminate on calling a shark a fish. My theory is that maybe in a part of America where sharks sure. are especially common, there's mm-hmm. kind of like a knowing vernacular thing of let's just call it a fish like any other. But Chris, oh, uh, Tyler, introduce our guest and ask him what he thinks of calling a shark a fish. <laughs> That's the big reason we had him on. Yeah. Um, yeah. The show's but, uh, as polished as always, guys. <laughs> great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we've, uh, it's been a while since our, our guest today has, has been on the show, but it's always uh, nice to have him on. Uh, he is the host of the What Are You Watching uh, podcast, as well as another podcast, which has a long name that I have forgotten already. Uh, but we'll get to it's that in a moment. It's called The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood. Oh, that, The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood. It sounds... Well, peaceful, I suppose. Uh, but it's Chris Mancini. Chris, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it has been a while. And I was thinking, where can I really like nerd out and talk about movies now that, you know, comedy film nerds is a couple years past. I'm like, oh, yeah. ship pretension. Of course, we're going to really yeah. get into some stuff. But we first, sure will. <laughs> but first, Tyler, I got to tell you, you know, one thing that will piss you off. Don't see the movie Fishnado. You're not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, but it's in that case, it's just like, actually, it's just like, you know, bass yeah. and people are like, well, oh, this isn't great, but it's not bad. You know? Yeah. 
Um, well, you know, technically it's, it's true. Like you said, yeah, sharks, I know. Um, you know, fish, sharks are fish, but maybe it's some kind of slang, like, uh, like a local slang, like calling like a boat, a tub or, uh, sure. or a, sure. a submarine, a boat or something like that. Like, uh, maybe it's something like that where it's, you know, if you're in the know and you're surrounded by sharks, you kind sure. of like just call them fish. Yeah. It well, almost like, like it takes some of their power away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, sharks are like, you can't use that word. You call us fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, so I'll say this, are there, if we have any listeners from new England, from that area, yeah. uh, feel free to weigh in on this and let me know if I have gone so insane that this is too big a deal for me. You're de-sharkinizing um, them to become yeah. common fish. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. By the way, and that's the, you, oh, go ahead. Go, yes. No, go, go ahead. If you had more on this, I was going to. Well, say that's the thing is the whole nature of it is like, hey, this big shark is terrorizing our community. It feels like and that's that's something that your average fish won't do. So because of that, because everyone's, you know, it's like, oh, we type it into the coroner's report. It doesn't say fish attack. It says shark attack. So why do they keep doing this? And yeah, it really, it really <laughs> got to me today. Well, um, <laughs> As I was taking the kids for a walk, I'm like, this fucking fish thing, man. <laughs> your story reminded me of, I think the only audiobook I've ever listened to more than once. And it's only, it's only because my ex-girlfriend had a car that had a tape deck and it was the only tape that she had and it was just always in there was uh gary sinise reading of mice and men oh which, i bet that's great is, okay. it, but it's also it's very short you know yeah and so yeah. I've, I've probably listened to it multiple times in chunks of like half a chapter at, the, at a time on the way to ralph's or whatever mm-hmm. but it was just like always playing uh i've anyway. since since becoming a dad i've i've uh as people know i've i've uh exp- delved into the world of audiobooks quite a bit because it's just something to listen to while taking the kids for a walk. Um, and you should check yeah. out podcasts, Tyler. You <laughs> might like them. Yeah. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I find them mostly insufferable. Yeah. There's only one. There's really only one I can think of that I really My like. And, and that yeah. I was going to say the one that I listened to ended a few years ago yeah. when uh, Graham Elwood decided to become a political vigilante. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, so I will say one thing about when comedy film nerds, when we ended in 2019, every once in a while, your timing works out because four months later, movie theaters close. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly you're talking about like, well, I guess this thing popped up on Netflix. Let's talk about that. Um, I think that I don't remember the last time, Chris, that you were on Battleship Retention, but I know Tyler and I were on comedy film nerds. And I uh, don't know why I specifically, I do know why I specifically remember this was October of 2015. Okay, uh, and it was in uh, your garage where I think you are right now. Yes. Yeah. Still there. <laughs> yes. That was the, so that, it might've been that long. Mm-hmm. almost seven years since we, wow. we spoke well i gotta hand it to you guys the fact that you know you're still doing the show like a lot of people you know even like 10 years we were we were done but you guys are yeah how many years now a, a lot of people uh, would have a lot of people would have gotten the hint you, yeah. you're saying yeah. a lot of people would have hung it up That's by it. now yeah. it's impressive guys well done thank you uh yeah it is something that 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 people have uh, have said uh they're like wow that's really impressive it's like well it's not like we can get like canceled you know like we just do this as long as we want to do it and we just don't know when to quit at this Mm -hmm. point um but yeah oh yes that is that's very much what we are um but anyway so chris what have you been up to lately 
Well, um, one of the things I did is after Comedy Film Nerds closed, I started a new company right when the pandemic uh, hit. So that's a great time to start mm-hmm. a new company. And uh, I started a uh, I was thinking, like, what do I love doing the most? And it was podcasting, storytelling, writing, you know, making comic books and books. And I thought, let me roll that all into one new company. So I started White Cat Entertainment and I, it's a basically a storytelling company through podcasts mm. and books. And and uh, I, I just really wanted to tell stories. In fact, What Are You Watching is like the only podcast that, you know, I kind of interview and talk to other people. The rest is all um, narrative and story driven. Mm. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, and now I'm trying to uh, get that off the ground because it's so easy to start over. And starting a company. So. <laughs> Most um, people will tell you building an audience, yeah. rebuilding an audience, no problem. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. The other, I guess, uh, probably a couple months ago, my my wife, who is not, would not have been the comedy film nerds uh, podcast audience, but she said to me, like, you know who Chris Mancini is, right? And I was like, yeah, he's been on the podcast. And and she was telling me about uh, the aforementioned uh Quiet, the quiet, quiet journeys, journeys of of Professor Atwood. Yeah. Before we get to what are you watching, I want I want to mm-hmm. hear more about Professor Atwood. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm an anxiety sufferer, so I wanted to try to create like a tool that would uh, help other anxiety sufferers, sufferers, people with insomnia, and and just people that you know needed to tone things down and uh, take a break and just kind of relax. And a lot of people would tell me, too, they would listen to comedy albums to uh, relax, like it was some kind of secret. Like, you know, I do listen to comedy albums to kind of help me sleep. I'm like, comedians don't mind. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> Any way you can use their comedy where it helps you. It, it's no one's going to get mad that, that that's, yeah. that's how you're using it or helping it. So I wanted to lean into that to create like um, a storytelling podcast that would kind of re- help you relax. But also you would get a story. Uh, and throughout the entire thing. And it's an entire world that's built. Professor Atwood um, goes on journeys throughout the um, the earth and uh, sometimes under it and um, finds like hidden cities under the water, cities up in the clouds and um, finds like legends and gets you know stuck in an underground market. And he got uh, um, he had an adventure in Christmas town where his assistant is lives uh is from so it's all of these kind of cool fun adventures but they're they're super quiet and they're relaxing but they are stories and they are adventures and each one can kind of like lead into the next one but it doesn't matter if you fall asleep halfway through you can enjoy it any way you want (laughs) like if you have super hard insomnia and you know it's not even enough to put you to sleep you'll get a whole story with a positive affirmation at the end as the professor learns something from his journey. Or if you go to sleep halfway through, you could start it over again in the same episode and find out how Professor Atwood got rid of a squid stuck in the Panama Canal, like things like that, a giant squid. Um, So what it is, is a storytelling podcast, but it's comedy, adventure, it's science, it's all of these things I kind of combined. But I partnered with a friend of mine, Ron Tansky, who is a composer. So every single episode has an original musical score and a sound effects bed underneath it. So these stories kind of come to life as you're listening. And we've been really happy with um, as the way the show has been growing. And it's just been really rewarding because I can kind of go into all these different creative directions that I've wanted to go to with these fun stories and tangents and just it's kind of almost like stream of consciousness writing, which I've never done before. But I wanted to also make it so you didn't have to think about it. It wasn't the kind of podcast where it tells you to like 
breathe deep and, you know, feel better. Imagine you're on a train or anything like, no, you just, the podcast does all the work for you. You, you listen, you enjoy it. You laugh. It helps you sleep, whatever it does. You don't have to think about it. So I wanted to make a story driven tool to help people. Well, I'm not, uh, uh, look, I'm not just blowing smoke when I say this. This is the first I've heard of it, and I cannot wait to listen. <laughs> this sounds so wonderful uh, because that's the thing is it's, it's <clears throat> you know, we've all, we've all been in the podcasting game for a while, and certainly the format that we're all engaging in at the moment is the standard one. But yes. then you hear about like storytelling podcasts and, and, and radio dramas and that sort of thing. And that's fun. Uh, and so, but, and then you hear about like relaxation podcasts and mental health podcasts and the idea mm -hmm. of bringing things together so that it's still a satisfying story. It's still a, a comedic thing, but it also has this very specific purpose in its style, in its themes. Uh, that is really exciting to me. Um, oh, cool. Now I'm not an anxiety guy. I'm a, I'm a good old fashioned depression guy as anyone who's been following <laughs> me on Twitter the last week can attest. Um, but, uh, but don't worry. Yeah, I deleted follow, all those more, posts. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't say, do that. Yeah, yeah. Follow add more lessons for they, some they, chilling they are, updates. They, they, <laughs> your night you know anxiety oh. depression they are cousins so yes boy <laughs> yeah it's uh like some day some days i'm feeling really low it's like i need some more anxiety in my life yeah. i need something <laughs> at least maybe then i'll get some stuff done but uh but yeah so that sounds really wonderful uh how many uh episodes uh have you done so far or chapters uh, or whatever you'd call them I, I you know what i'm checking right now because i just like finished writing uh one and uh it is 39 episodes oh that's great mm-hmm but and there are more great. episodes than that of what are you watching, which is uh, yes. the one that is, uh, I think, more germane to uh, uh, this podcast because it's a movie podcast. Mm -hmm. It is a um, it, it's basically everything. So I, what I thought was be interesting is to kind of like whenever we would interview people like when you would have guests on, we would have guests on comedy film nerds. You get to know the person a little bit. And if they're they since they are comedians or work in the entertainment industry, what they choose to watch, I always found gave you like a little more insight into kind of how they approach their own work and what they yeah. enjoyed watching. So I just kind of go off where like I just say, what are you watching? And people, it's either a TV show, a movie, viral videos, some crazy like procedural Australian crime dramas that Jackie Cation was watching, like stuff I've sometimes never heard of. And it's, it's really interesting because it also gives some insight into um, people who make entertainment. So I always say it's like the show where we ask who make, you know, what are they, what are the people who make entertainment? What are they watching? So that's, uh, that's kind of the premise of the show. That's always fascinating because I am one, something that I have a, a specific memory from, uh, of it's from a few years ago. Um, there was an interview with my favorite actor, Robert Duvall about like the best, like, his favorite movie of, of like the last however many years. And he said, Apocalypto was like the best movie of the last 25 years. And I remember, and I, I, look, BP, we're on board with Apocalypto. We think it's great. But <laughs> didn't, when didn't I, he say he wrote it in his like Oscar yeah. best picture? Ballot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's how, and I was just like, huh, I'm looking at Duval in a slightly different way and it, not in a negative way, but it's like, maybe he's not, the Duval from, you know, Lonesome Dove, maybe he is the Duval from Apocalypse Now a little bit more than I thought. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, and so it's, it is always fascinating when you when you hear that. And like, mm -hmm. and who's it like? And then somebody like Terrence Malick was once asked like his favorite movies. And they were just like, 
completely like middle brow, like run of the mill, like <laughs> perfectly fine movies, but nothing profound that you would expect Terrence right. Malick to, that to adore. Doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Then there's, there's also the guys who just like watch. Like, I think Martin Scorsese like watches uh, everything. Or oh, like, yes, no, of course. I mean, uh, uh, speaking of uh, canceled film directors like Mel yeah. Gibson, uh, <laughs> yeah. Woody Allen, like what, what was the he put Jason Biggs in one of his movies? Was it like I can't remember <laughs> yes. what it's called? And like when asked, like it was an interview, like, oh, why'd you cast Jason Biggs? He was like, oh, I loved him in Loser. <laughs> like, the idea of Woody Allen watching like forgettable like early aughts mm-hmm. teen teen comedies like Loser is very. I'm funny. trying to think of the, like, the last Woody Allen movie I actually saw. It was I think there was one with a Ferris wheel on it that I, I think Wonder it was Wheel. It. Wonder Wheel. That's it. And yeah, that I, was the last one I saw too. I couldn't get past um uh what was his name the uh it was the lead uh, Timberlake. Uh, yeah, Justin Timberlake as a um. As a college lifeguard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That movie, like I, um, I, I defend that movie somewhat. I don't defend Woody Allen, obviously, mm-hmm. but like that movie is high melodrama and you have to like go in, like prepared, like nothing that happens in this movie is meant to mimic reality. <laughs> no. And yeah, although it's a very I, overheated movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, although uh, uh, whoever was the production designer, uh, amazing production design. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it looked beautiful. Like you were going back in time. Man, I, I pulled up his filmography on IMDb because I wasn't sure the last thing of his that I'd seen, which as it turns out, it was Blue Jasmine. So that's nine years ago now. But invariably, this always happens with Woody Allen. I pull up his filmography. I'm like, motherfucker, this guy works constantly maybe a little bit less so now but up until relatively recently i mean it was a, it was a movie a year not all of them great but uh it's it's just like i've seen i've seen a fair number of woody allen movies and i think i've probably seen at best like a fourth of them um <laughs> well, man he made uh, a lot of stuff i mentioned earlier that i my wife and I, we were in paris <clears throat> in paris in 2019 so Woody allen's last couple movies have not gotten major u.s releases no uh, right. at, at all but in in france he's still a big draw so like a rainy day in new york was just like playing in the first run movie theaters when we were there and i like mm-hmm. uh i i i would i didn't make any progress but i like tried to convince natalie like shouldn't we go just because we can and she was like no i'm not spending not spending <laughs> even 90 minutes of my vacation watching a woody allen movie in paris fair enough <laughs> now is there in a situation in a travel situation uh and this is for uh, a question for the panel here yeah. um you know for my money like if i'm in another country or whatever like i'm always more than happy to go see a movie uh, ideally in like a in maybe a small like local theater but really whatever i'll, I'll see a movie if i'm in another country it doesn't bother saw, me at all whereas yeah. some people are like why would i bother seeing a movie that i could probably see at home in another country like that's no, two precious we, hours we could be we doing saw, something else we saw multiple movies in uh in paris we saw marie antoinette on 35 millimeter with a sure an interview beforehand with uh i want to say the costume designer production designer i can't remember because she's French and the interview was entirely in French. And mm-hmm. despite my aforementioned three weeks of Duolingo, I was not <laughs> able to follow. Uh, and then we also went to see uh, just, just for like, we just wanted the experience of like, what is like a multiplex experience? Like mm-hmm. we went to see hustlers, which is not called hustlers in France. It was called Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that was fun. we like went to just a regular theater. And then I remember one time we were in, um, 
uh, Merida, Mexico, and like the downtown cultural center was showing Lady from Shanghai. And I was like, oh, Ooh, that's fucking sure. cool to watch Lady from Shanghai with with uh, Mexican with Spanish subtitles. Sorry, oh. I interrupted Chris. What, what, oh no, I was gonna say I kind of fall on the other side of that. Where yeah, that's two hours I could be like looking at uh, the sites or eating yeah, at a, at, a, at a great restaurant in France. However, as you guys were talking, I was thinking mm, there's probably an exception, and that is if I was touring in New Zealand. And there was some kind of Lord of the Rings reunion uh, screening. <laughs> sure. I'd probably go to that. <laughs> I did. Uh, my my wife and I went to New Zealand uh, ten years ago now, and so we we went on uh, a couple of Lord of the Rings uh, tours, which was which was uh, really fun. And uh, yeah, boy, uh, that country still uh, understandably so still uh, really promoting Lord of the Rings, which uh, <laughs> you know it's I'm I'm sure it's a big part of their economy is uh, these uh, Lord of the Rings tours. But um, I do remember uh, years ago, my my wife and I were in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and we went to see Zombieland, which I think I had already seen, but she hadn't and she was interested. And so we went to see it. And so it was in English and there were Spanish subtitles at the bottom. <laughs> and it was it was funny because she and I would laugh. And then about a second later, everyone else would laugh. And, uh, and I thought that was like, this is a very strange, surreal experience, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so Chris, you know, you and I, before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, obviously the pandemic and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, you know, being locked down and not being able to see things in the theater, uh, and, a lot of those movies simply just being postponed as opposed to like released to, to streaming. Uh, I, I definitely know that it shifted my viewing habits as far as the movies that I would watch. They, and, and in some cases the movies that I would review for BP because it's just like, well, it's what's available. So let's give it a shot. And movies that I never would have given another look at uh, when I, when that showed up in my inbox. So do you feel like you watched any, you know, as a, as a movie guy, do you feel like you watched any movies during, you know, the lockdown period that you frankly never would have bothered with uh, otherwise? Oh, for sure. I, I'm sure I did. And uh, some of them, like I would even uh, pay for like, uh, oh like, and even the ones that were like super high charges, like uh, I think I paid for, and I, I literally bought it, I think for 30, it might've even been higher, 30, $35 was the, uh, the third Bill and Ted movie. Cause sure. I really wanted to see it. And they did a weird and pricing thing money, where money well spent as far as I'm yeah, concerned. I like, I like yeah. that movie. It was, it was a weird pricing thing where first of all, it was huge. It was like a $30 fee or something like that. But for $35, you get to keep it. So it was like a $30 rental or 35 to buy it. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to buy it now. Uh, Cause you know, the kids may want to see it at some point, literally a year or two from now we could, could watch it again. So Everyone's still trying to figure out even the, the pricing, the releases and any studio that tells you they've got a, you know, a set strategy. They're lying there because everyone's still kind of going by the seat of their pants. And you could see it, too. You could see the movie theaters getting mad at the studios for the releasing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, the studios don't owe you movie theaters really, you know, anything. I mean, this isn't like granted you've been part of the food chain, but things are evolving and changing and movie theaters always got a giant cut of the revenue, but you know, Disney figured out, well, we have our own streaming service now, which means we have our own distribution network, which means we're not splitting up the pie as much anymore. So what's the strategy? And the strategy I think more is now 
um, blockbusters still go theatrical and it generates buzz for the streaming releases later. Whereas the indie films, a lot of times are just going right to streaming or on demand now. But the other thing that's super complicated, and I don't know if this will ever get figured out is if you have multiple streaming services, one of them might offer the movie that you want to see for pay, but you might already have it free somewhere else. <laughs> like if you're yeah. on Amazon, like, well, wait, I have HBO Max. Maybe I can get this this free here. And there's no set search engine or hub other than going on your phone on Google, like on your TV to say like, oh, no, here's where you can watch this movie. You have the service. This is what it would cost because there it's all piecemeal, like like one search engine on your TV might go through three of your services, but be blocked on one or two of them. Yes. So yes. And that's always been super frustrating, but I find that uh, uh, I'm still doing it now. Like I just, I just saw a movie that I would never have gone out of my way to see. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw this, the, um, the hidden city, the uh, Sandra the Bullock movie, the lost city. Oh, the yeah, lost, the lost city. city. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I reviewed Bullock that one. Yeah. Channing Tatum. I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to, to uh, see that, but uh, it was something I'm like, all right, it looked kind of funny. And it was, uh, it's already on one of these services that I have. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. And, you know, the, the one thing I, I'm sure you guys have talked about ad nauseum is like, well, is this the death of movies? And, and I'm like, right. No, it isn't. It's like, you know, did, did the death of CDs make music go away? <laughs> it, it, it didn't. Uh, yeah. So the way we consume movies is changing, but the art form of movies will, will be here, you know, for, at least in the foreseeable future. But I think you, you hit on something um, that I think is very interesting in this, like, coming out of the pandemic, which is something I've been saying for a year now, but coming out of the pandemic, um, <laughs> the role of, of movie theaters. Cause I think what we are seeing is that, uh, whether studios like it or not in an audience's mind, a movie that opens in theaters has more value. It is, it is seen as less disposable than something that premieres streaming. So I think there is, you asked what 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 the movie theaters like play. I, I I do think that it gives the product more value, even if it's something that only plays. That's you know you see things like uh, ambulance was like streaming for sure like right. four weeks after its after its mm-hmm. premiere or whatever. But still, it, that's still a theatrical movie, which seems more real and of higher value to the to the consumer. To use, yes, to use now street. Uh, like Netflix has tried to change that by doing some high budget movies straight to Netflix, but their high budget movies still are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Awful. So um, <laughs> it's, it's not even close right now. So the, uh, um, th- that format and that perception is still, still holds. And even they were playing with like a, what about a same day thing? We'll get people watching it on streaming, but it still has the prestige of a theatrical release. And they realized that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it seems like from what I understand, um, what I was saying about ambulance and, and like the Northman is like already streaming and stuff like yes, that. And even, right. even the lost city was in theaters, what, six weeks ago or something. Um, isn't the, uh, isn't there a new agreement that it's, uh, uh, the window's going to be a little bit longer than that. The windows, uh, it's definitely shrunk, uh, but there is like a but set I think they're window. expanding it up. Yeah, I think after Show West, or it's not, it hasn't been called Show West in 10, yeah. 12 years. <laughs> CinemaCon is what it's called now. Um, I'm, I'm old. Uh, um, but uh, after CinemaCon, I think there was some like 60 or 90 day agreement, I think, that, that mm-hmm. these things are going to go back to, not the window that 
we all remember from when we were young when movies would close in theaters yeah. and then you had to wait a year for <laughs> right. Jurassic Park to come out on VHS or whatever. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not going to have that anymore. Yeah, the, the these windows, and they're also in flux too. Like, you know, it kind of keeps changing. First, I mean, first it was zero, you know, with this, you know, the simultaneous release. Mm-hmm. Then it crept back out and uh, they're still trying to figure out that sweet spot where the movie theaters can survive and make money. Um, but the problem is you don't have Spider-Man or Doctor Strange coming out every single you know weekend and you have 14 theaters to fill. So I, I yeah. don't I think there's still some um, equilibrium uh, that still needs to be found. And I don't think I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. And it's I mean, you know, the solution for some theaters is to just put Doctor Strange on all their on all yes. their screens. Yep. But, and uh, apparently, at least in Los Angeles, part of the solution is to just have fewer screens because movie theaters keep closing. The arc lights closed right. and right. Uh, very the landmark, the, the landmark uh, uh, closed, which is sad to me. I've been going to the landmark since it was actually the four screen like landmark inside the mall. I saw like mm-hmm. good yeah. night and good luck there in like 2005. <clears throat> is that what you're That's thinking? five. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a, a, a sad loss. And also one, Oh no, I was going to say, I hadn't been back to the landmark since, since the pandemic. That's, that's not true. I saw the movie Swan Song with Udo Kier. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> there. Missed the arc light, man. I love the arc light. I mean, for comedy filmers, I was there every, uh, you know, every week and, and Tyler, I'll tell you this. I went to, uh, I would go during what I would call dad time. And it would be like, you know, 11 a.m. on a Friday because, okay. you know, wife was at work. Kids were at school. It was like me and two senior citizens and every single screening I would go to. So it was Friday <laughs> at 11 a.m. That's when I would go. <laughs> I uh, yeah, definitely. Because the kids are not in school yet uh dad time for me is is in the evening right uh, and so like last night i i went and saw the northman a few days ago i saw everything mm-hmm. everywhere all at once um yeah and it's definitely something that i it's so interesting i i when you know theaters went away or the option of going to the theater went away um i didn't really seem to feel it in the moment but then when I had the option of like going to a theater and I like sat down and I got like, you know, popcorn and all that. And, and I was just like, Oh yeah, no. Okay. Yes. This, this is definitely a, a, uh, a therapeutic experience for me. Even if I'm not looking forward to the film itself, I just mm-hmm. am happy to be in a place with no distraction except for the film itself. Uh, sorry. Anything to distract from the film itself. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, And it's just, it it was something that like, I don't know why in the moment I wasn't missing it, but once I, once I got it back, I was like, Oh, I think I was missing it unconsciously and it was having a big impact on me. And, uh, and I definitely like, I I need to go out to the theater, like at least, at least once a week, which I know that for our, you guys and and our movie friends probably is not that much, but uh, for me, it's, it's uh, a wonderful luxury. Well, I was itching to get back to the theater, if only because for over a year, the last movie I saw in a movie right. theater <laughs> right. was a press screening of My Spy, the Dave Bautista <laughs> and a, like, a spy with a little like tyke sidekick. Movie. I saw that movie. For yes. 14 months, that was the only movie I'd seen, <laughs> the last movie I'd seen in a theater. I needed to get that yeah. out of yeah. my head. And and I, the movie I thought it was, uh, oh, I was going to say, I thought it was a sequel to like The Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan, but uh, <laughs> it turns out it was a remake. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, The movie, by the way, that I, the, the first movie I went to see 
in May of 2021 was uh, Werewolves Within. Which oh, was yeah. A, uh, special presentation that they did at the Arrow. Uh, which, I, uh, uh, that was a good one. I keep thinking that the first one I saw back was Godzilla versus Kong, but I have to re- remind myself true. that uh, when you Jen and I. Tom Cruise. I, yes. You put on your mask and you went and saw Tenet. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, cause Jen and I were in Arizona waiting for the, the kids to be born. And, uh, and so we, and I think like the week before, uh, Arizona, like lifted, like opened some theaters. So we, we went and saw tenant and, uh, I found it a largely unsatisfying experience, but you know, at least I got to see a really big and extremely loud movie, uh, before becoming a father and not seeing anything for a while. Did you so. walk out backwards from the theater? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe I can undo the experience yeah, yeah. by doing that. Um, so to get back to the, the topic at, at, at hand, uh, I love the, the, the premise of your podcast, Chris, because like as movie people, we know that just, just that question, what are you watching can lead to a multi-hour long dis- discussion mm-hmm. easily. Yes. Um, so what, what have been some of the, uh, best discussions you've, you've had or places the show has gone, uh, from that jumping off point? You know, it was a, a couple of really interesting ones. I had Buzzy Cohen on who was a, um, one of the Jeopardy winners. Hmm. And um, we talked about replacement hosts like and this. It was before Alex right. Rebecca passed. And, you know, I have them on about a, a delay, like maybe like two weeks so I could record them in advance. And in that time before I recorded him and when it aired, um, Alex Trebek passed. Oh, boy. So I actually had to put like a disclaimer. I'm like, this was recorded before because we were talking about who would replace him as uh, as, as host. <laughs> Suddenly looks um, very craven. In yeah, the, uh, yeah. It looks yeah. so uh, <laughs> that was a weird timing. But uh, um, had a couple really good discussions, like like I said, with Jackie Cation, with weird Australian procedural dramas, which I had literally never heard of. And. Um, some of the fun things is when somebody says like, oh, well, I'm sure everyone's watching this and it's always something different. Like, well, no, no one here, the first person to uh, <laughs> to bring that up. I mean, we obviously we do a lot of like Marvel and DC and, uh, you know, the big movie discussions. And, you know, Graham came back on to do a, uh, a Batman spoiler. So we talked about sure. Batman. But um, I like to kind of go like a little bit deeper, too, with like the people behind the scenes. Like uh, I had uh, my buddy Eric Jacobus on, who's a motion capture actor, mm-hmm. like for video games and movies and all those things. And we were talking about kind of like the um, technical aspects of how animation and motion capture is kind of merging and changing and how the tools are kind of, you know, getting similar and how the, it, it's going to affect the way movies look, you know, um, for pretty much from now on. And that that was a really interesting uh discussion so some of the stuff like i i get to learn too like uh, what's going on with like visual effects people and and just you know having fun with comedians talking about like you know the crazy things that they're watching like viral videos of prank you know pranks that you know get millions of views that i've literally never heard of and and uh, a lot of deep dives into some obscure stuff and you know a lot of stuff that uh um we talk about everything from like moon knight to like i said the new batman movie and and uh, and every time like a new streaming 
you know, service kind of comes online, like, you know, HBO Max or like they start to actually finally grow, like CBS turns into Paramount Plus. Right. Like, you know, there's a lot of discussions there because the content increases and, the, you know, there's more choices for stuff. And, you know, we got into a lot of discussions like, you know, we were doing with you guys about like, uh, well, where are movies headed? Where's the movie theaters headed? Where are our, um, where are our, patterns going like what are we watching how are we watching and you know have those patterns changed and do we want them to change and what are the things we want to you know hold on to and one of the things that irritates me is when something completely obvious happens like all of a sudden netflix decides that they're spending too much money and you know they're bleeding subscribers and i'm like well of course that did you think that was going to last forever you were going to constantly be adding subscribers and spending as much as you want and then nothing bad was ever going to happen you can only have so many starbucks and mcdonald's as per square mile you know there there's a saturation <laughs> yeah. point for everything yeah. and also netflix was the top dog for many years until uh, other streaming services kind of figured it out and started coming in uh with uh sometimes uh better content and more competition so and it, at a lower price and at a yeah. lower price. Netflix so, is 20 bucks a month. Yeah. That's so, more than twice what I pay for HBO Max. And I spend way more time watch, watching me too. Me days. too. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, like, oh, well, then Netflix is failing. <laughs> no, Netflix is doing just fine. <laughs> it's always an extreme, one or the other. Netflix has to adjust to the new marketplace because it's different than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. So it's all this like, uh, you know, I know a lot of it's clickbait or like, you know, oh, you know, in financial road, there's a bloodbath at Netflix and all that, but, but you know, every company, every industry goes through an evening out period. And that's where we are now for uh, streaming. Like, you know, Discovery Plus merging with um, Warner was inevitable. Nobody's going to pay for Discovery Plus, you know, when you've got all these other streaming options. So they're going to have yeah. to combine. <laughs> I, By the way, I'm on a Discovery Plus show. That's why I mentioned it. So nice, well done, well done. <laughs> so currently, my wife and I pay for both HBO Max and Discovery Plus. We're, oh yeah, so we're watch looking it, forward to that consolidation. And watch, watch the inventions that change history. I'm on there as a pop culture expert. So, what <laughs> what inventions do you talk about? I talk about the uh, slip and slide, the uh, Ouija board, the uh, okay. Super Soaker. Do you guys and remember the, uh, life ball. before the slip and slide? No, I don't want <laughs> to. History. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's what I call the Dark Ages. <laughs> So it's a, it's a bit of a misleading title, but that's, that's what we talk about. <laughs> uh, I thought, I thought you were going to come up and say like, like, oh, well, you know, the motion picture camera. It's like, yes. no, the slip and slide. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I'm glad that you, that you shifted into, uh, into a, a, a place of self-promotion because I was about to uh, myself um, because in the last few months, back in October, I started working for a streaming service part-time. It's, it's a, tiny little service called rediscover television. And mm -hmm. I, I work there as a sort of curator slash producer. I don't know. I don't remember what my title officially is, but, um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating because even though, I mean, we're nowhere near anything like Netflix, um, <clears throat> I think we're at a statistical 0% of their, of their, uh, of their uh, membership. But what is it? Is it a, um, it's a curated it's, uh, channel. It's, it's like family friendly stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can be limiting. Uh, but when you're me, you realize like, well, family friendly, you know, that doesn't have to mean something just for kids. It could mean anything made during the Hays Code era, for example. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of like really great classic movies and classic TV shows and stuff like that. Um, and it does kind of lean towards like kids and it leans towards like faith-based stuff, but mm -hmm. I don't want it 
to ever be exclusively that. And so, uh, it's been, it's been interesting and I've learned, I've already learned a lot about like the streaming industry and the idea of like what you have to do to bring new people in, what you have mm-hmm. to do to keep people in and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And, and it really is like, it's up and down it, for, for a company like ours, it's really month to month. And obviously like Netflix has been like going strong and has been like the name for a long time. But then there's just so many other services at this point that, you know, there are people out there that are, that have been eager to cancel Netflix, but probably felt like, well, they've got such a big catalog. I feel like I can't do that now. I, I feel I feel like I can't do that. And then, you know, HBO max comes along and suddenly I was like, Oh, I think I, I think I can do this now. <laughs> and so it's, it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's not surprising that, uh, that Netflix would eventually start to drop um, because I don't think it's necessarily associated with like <clears throat> quality. I think it's associated yeah. with, qua- with quantity and being the first one. And yeah, that's it, kind of it. And that's not sustainable. A hundred percent. Like, you know, if I have a choice between one thing, okay, well, I'm going to pick that one thing. I have a choice between five things. I might pick, you know, two different things, Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely been, and, and, you know, something that, that, uh, I've said, so I've made a couple of documentaries in the last couple of years. Um, and this guy with the self-promotion, <laughs> you gotta do it, man. Um, but the, the point that I'm making is like, the by the only- way, you're the only one who's ever said that, by the way, I've made a couple of documentaries in a couple of years. Normally it's, I've made one documentary sure. in a couple yeah. of years. Yes. So yeah. well done. The way I, you're I, Alex Gibney who makes exactly. like one a month. Yeah. I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He puts them out faster than I do. And the, the ones that I make, like they're, they're essentially like feature length video essays. Like they're really, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm proud of them. Don't get me wrong, but I, I recognize like they're not a traditional documentary. Um, They're much easier to make than, than most. Uh, But the point that I'm making is not, Hey, go watch my documentary. It's like the whole reason that I, that I was able to make them because I didn't pay for them is because there are a ton of tiny streaming services that need content and they'll throw you, you know, a micro budget to, to do something, something even vaguely unique that they say, that they can say, we're the only ones that have this and we'll promote it as much as we can. And so it's one of the, it's like, if I, who do not, I don't consider myself a filmmaker. If I can make a couple of films in this environment, it speaks to the environment. You know what I mean? Um, and it speaks to the, the, the desperation for any content really, um, whether it's good or bad. And it really is a, a, a a fascinating time. And in many cases, I think a really great time because I do think that there are probably people who are getting films made that other, that maybe five years ago wouldn't have been able to, but because there's just so many of these services, I'm sure many of them, probably the one that I work for as well, won't be around in five years, but the (laughs) fact that there are so many right now, um, and someone will come along and buy up the library and then roll that exactly. into their new service. So exactly. the content won't go away. And then someone's going to get a big old paycheck. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why anybody gets into a, a low budget documentary production is for the money. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so. Well, I wanted to ask, oh, uh, cause I keep trying to steer it back to the, the topic of hand. Indeed. Uh, Chris, other than the lost city, what are you watching? Um, I've been watching a bunch of things. I, I re-upped my Paramount plus. So I've been diving back into the star Treks and okay. which I've been enjoying. Um, and also I, of course, Dr. Strange have been 
I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. And uh, I'm also kind of like, um, you know, a Marvel Comics fan from way back. So I got like the Sam Raimi stuff. I got the comic book references and I've been, you know, I've watched uh, WandaVision and what if. So I even I got those references like <laughs> I got, you know, the Fantastic Four. Got it. Reed Richards. And by the way, I've said this before, but uh, Marvel seems to be better at keeping secrets than the U.S. government. So uh, <laughs> they're uh, well done because I, 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 I there was rumors of like John Krasinski being, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Fantastic. I'm like, oh, but oh, my God, there he is. This is this is great. Uh, but so here's OK. I'm going to get like uh, nerdy in a way. And I normally don't because I'm not mm-hmm. like the resident like MCU guy. <laughs> but I have a but I have a legitimate question. Yes. In Sp- Spider-Man three, <laughs> we get three different. Spider-Mans from different mm-hmm. universes, all played by different actors. Yes. In Doctor Strange 2, whenever we meet someone in another universe, they're played by the same actor as they are in our universe. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my question is, does John Krasinski playing Reed Richards in that universe guarantee that he is now the MCU's Reed Richards? Or could that be a one-off? That's I'm going up, to guess that's a yes. That's up to his agent. So, oh, sure. <laughs> because I think the intention will be yes. That was kind of his unveiling as Reed Richards to kind of uh, jumpstart the Fantastic Four. So unless things go awry with negotiations, for sure, he's locked in. Well, then my next thing is not to pile on because it's been weeks and everyone's already said this. Um, <laughs> uh, the idea of Chiwetel Ejiofor saying the smartest man in the world and then it's this fucking mass hole. <laughs> It's so funny to me. Like, I, however you feel about John Krasinski, like he reads as every man, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Been his thing. The idea of him as the smartest man in the world is is funny to me, and I think I don't think it's great casting. Personally, <laughs> I do think. Yeah, it's Reed Richards has always been a kind of an interesting character, and Chris, you can you can speak to this as well because I, I read Marvel comics when I was younger, uh, and. Fantastic Four was not my specific uh, comic line. So I only knew about them from like the cards that I collected and like appearances in other comics. Crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the idea of Reed Richards being a a full-fledged genius, like obviously he was smart. He was a scientist, but the idea of him being the smartest man alive, that feels like a relatively new development, like in the last 20 years or so. Um, Cause I no, don't remember that a, being a big part of it for, he, for, oh, for sure. He was. Yeah. Okay. Reed Richards was always like, you know, this genius scientist that, you know, could also get uh, stretch <laughs> and you yeah. know, be like plastic man. But um, that was always kind of like, you know, his thing, it was like superior intellect and he could stretch. And, okay. and uh, um, so the, the thing, you know, you make a good point about like, especially the characters he's been playing, like uh, John Krasinski, um, even when he's in that awful, uh, what is that? amazon series he's in that jack ryan one oh, yeah. right um you know well by the way i did like the first season i thought that was okay the second season was like i don't know what happened to the show oh did we run out of material wait there's there's not an entire tom clancy library you could have uh, <laughs> drawn from <laughs> yeah uh so i never saw it but the the year it premiered amazon threw a fantastic party at comic-con and i'm i'm i am <laughs> missing comic-con yes. parties <laughs> yeah yeah they had this whole you know uh, build thing that they did with like a helicopter and like it was like some kind of like combat zone it was insane what they built for that show at comic-con but uh yeah. um yeah for for reed richards it 
it's going to be a bit of a stretch, especially when you look like a quiet place, because he uh, he <laughs> is kind of like that. Yeah, in the stretch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I just realized I did that <laughs> for to him to play like this genius. And it was that kind of uh, casting. I'm sure they were kind of thinking like, well, give him the gray, you know, hair on the sides. Yeah. And and I think he's a good enough actor that he could pull it off. Um, but yes, it's not like we've seen him play that genius character in, in any of these other roles, but I, I think he can do it. Yeah. And it's but now and, I think we need a fan cast. <laughs> Who would we cast as Reed Richards? And to me, the obvious choice is David Strathairn. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Like good. if, yeah. if he weren't the age that he is, I think yeah. that's perfect. Like mm-hmm. him from the nineties, like mm-hmm. that's, that is great. I didn't think of that until now because obviously, because mm-hmm. he's older now, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are actors that exude, intelligence but not even not even just um you know there 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 are actors that seem like very proper and seem intelligent like uh you know a kenneth brown or something like that it's like yeah but that's a different kind of thing right uh somebody who seems like just kind of a straightforward guy but is also brilliant uh yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily think of john krasinski who there is an everyman quality he does seem intelligent he always seems intelligent but he doesn't seem like genius level in a way i almost feel like when you're the smartest man in the world right on the office he played the smartest man in the room but that was a pretty low bar yes on that yeah on that show and i almost feel like if you're if you're the smartest man in the world there's going to be a certain awkwardness to you as a person like you're when, when you, because if you know that you're the smartest man in the world, everything that anybody says is going to be like, yes, that's either very obvious. It's either very obviously right or obviously wrong. And so there's going to be a certain haughtiness and a certain lack of social grace. And I think we've seen that John Krasinski, like, especially in the office, like, He's he's extremely likable and very personable and all of that. And I'm I'm interested to see if they if they try to do away with that or if they try to just make him the way he is on the office, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which I feel like will probably not do justice to the character. And I do know that, like the, the whole fan thing uh, online, people wanted him to be Mr. Fantastic and wanted uh, Emily Blunt to be uh sue storm uh sue richards and so it's like oh they'll have some nice chemistry that'll be fun but at the same time is it true to the character um and i'm okay with sort of reimagining the character but again he was established as the smartest man in the world and he's in the same room as charles xavier (laughs) someone who does exude intelligence um spoilers everybody i guess but uh okay well as long as we're on to dr strange spoilers okay says uh chris are you enough because i i feel like i i uh, you know i'm a kind of a you know renaissance man jack of all trades expert in nothing Mm -hmm. so i tend to i know a lot about marvel comics but do you know enough that you knew who that was in the mid credit scene without having to look it up afterwards. Like I did. Uh, no. And then no I idea. will say this, like, you know, I, okay, good. Um, it, it's one of those things where like, I could kind of recognize like in the Eternals. I'm like, I think that's the black Knight, Like, uh, because that's the only uh, British superhero in the Marvel universe I could think of like that. Uh, um, Jon Snow was playing. Uh, sure. <laughs> but um, that one I did not. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who this is. So yeah, yeah that one I missed. 
Yeah, and I, the, I, like, I just I, like, oh, it's Charlize Theron. I guess she's going to be a part of it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I thought for a second, uh, yeah, we're doing full spoilers here. But for a second, because she's like, okay, traveling through dimensions and she has a kind of a sword. And I was like, oh, is that supposed to be magic, Ileana? But then my uh, friend of the show, Aaron Newers, reminded me that Anya Taylor-Joy played magic in The New Mutants, which I complete, a movie I completely forgot existed. She, yes, yes. Uh, I, so I forgot there already was a magic. Uh, <laughs> but that's know. okay. I mean, that stuff can kind of be like, you know, especially that was like, when the mutants was under Fox and, you know, they were kind of doing different things with the characters. They could certainly re reintroduce them with different uh, actors and actresses for sure. So it is not off the table outside yeah. the realm yeah. of possibility, yeah. uh, but that, yeah, that's uh, some of that stuff. Like I, I remember uh, they were getting more and more like vague and obscure with some of the stuff. Like, you remember the end of the Eternals? There's like a voice that says, yeah. uh, are you sure you're ready for that? And uh, when he's talking to Black Knight as he's like looking at, you know, his <clears> sword and I'm thinking, okay, that doesn't sound like a Marvel character we've heard before, but it does sound like Marshala Ali. So who I like, believe is going to be playing Blade at some Blade, point, right? Exactly. But that sent me to the internet. I'm like, yeah, course, like yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. But so I think it's deliberately getting a little <laughs> bit vaguer. But the thing I was really excited about Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange is probably one of the most insane comic books with the history like you could ever read. I mean, the, yeah. the shit that happens in that comics, like literally, I mean, he has sex with a bunch of statues at one point, like Dr. Strange and the, the story into Shambhala, where he um, like a bunch of these statues come to life and he actually um, multiplies and duplicates himself. So he, each one of him could have sex with each one of the statues. So <laughs> like, that's the crazy shit that happens in these comics. And like he rid the entire world of vampires at one point in the comics and um, all, all craziness. And uh, so Multiverse of Madness, I was thinking, OK, this is going to be part Sam Raimi, part Marvel, but it can get insane. But from someone who's read the comics, it didn't even get as insane as the comics. did. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's a lot that can happen in a Doctor Strange story, which is good. And I think Marvel's embracing that where it could kind of go literally anywhere. I'm sure yeah, you I, saw that scene where he walks up and sees a statue of himself and you thought, here we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think, I do think Dr. Strange too is, as you described it, part Sam Raimi and part Marvel or in part MCU. And I think that's the problem is to me, those parts never gelled to me. Like I, like I, it felt like you'd have to sort of pause the like wacky gonzo, like, dark fucked up Sam Raimi stuff and then do like here's a ridiculously overdrawn like introduction of Charles Xavier you know like like what like I kept laughing like why are all the Illuminati showing up late just so to like it just felt like you kept having to pause the interesting shit in the movie to take care of the Marvel shit and a lot of those brutal deaths, especially of some of the Marvel characters, Whew. was was pure Sam Raimi. That was 100 yeah. percent like Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. And well, what's interesting, if you look at Sam Raimi's kind of like his whole history of the movies he's done, um, you know, you've got the obvious ones. You've got Evil Dead and you've got, um, um, you know, you, you can even go back to like, you know, Xena and Hercules, his company, you know, produced them, you know, many years ago. So there's always been this kind of camp and horror, but he also directed, you know, the first Spider-Man movies and all of that stuff, those Sam Raimi touches were not present 
in uh, in those movies, because if you go back and see the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, there was no evil dead weird shots and right. there's no, you know, zombie <laughs> shots or, or extreme, you know, violence or gore. So I think the the premise was that it's like, well, you know, this is a, a bit of an older um, property. It's it delves into some horror territory. Let's let Sam Raimi be Sam Raimi and bring kind of his own touches and flourishes to this while still being in the Marvel universe. And I think that's where tonally it kind of like they clash a little bit. They didn't quite gel. So I think it should have maybe gone one way or the other. Like maybe I, I hate to say this, but maybe sit on them a little bit more for a pure Marvel movie or just let them off the leash and make like a crazy, you know, a little more crazier Dr. Strange movie. But I think we got something in the middle that I still really enjoyed because it was fun. And, you know, I'm a Sam Raimi fan and Dr. Strange fan, but I can certainly see that criticism of where like, well, this part was too Sam Raimi. This part didn't go far enough. This part right. was trying to mix Marvel <laughs> in with Sam Raimi. And there's so much, you know, and, and this is something that, uh, I'll be spoiling a little bit, I guess, uh, for the next week's movie journal, which I'll, I'll finally be back for. Right. David, is that correct uh, from a yes. scheduling standpoint? Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but yeah. And the, the, a big part, I think increasingly as we get more, um, as we get a little bit more obscure, Chris, as you're talking about with some of these characters and some of this mythology, it's going to require, because they still want to get as big an audience as they can, it's going to require a lot of exposition. And yes. Mar <laughs> like the Eternals was fucking chocked full of it. Like, and it really brought everything to a halt for me. And, and I do feel like the new Dr. Strange, like had a lot of that. And I feel like if this had been like pure Sam Raimi, he'd be like, whatever, they can figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and then I think that is, that is where like the, the sensibilities really conflict is I feel like Sam Raimi, when he's like full, you know, in full effect, uh, he just goes for it and just mm -hmm. will, will let everything and he'll show you everything and let you figure it out for yourself if you're going to. Um, and that is not a Marvel sensibility, you know, right. um, we got to try and, uh, so I'm one of my students, uh, has a, has a kid, um, and uh who's five and so she took her her kid to see the new doctor strange really? and yeah uh, because her kid like loves marvel movies and it's like hey here's a new marvel movie oh. and went to see it and the kid like parts of it some some of the more like sam raimi like whimsical parts the kid loved mm -hmm. didn't super love seeing all of these people just destroy destroyed by no. by a character that the that the little kid previously liked which is yeah. uh, scarlet witch yeah. and so uh I think so this it's, is it's the, this yeah is the problem well this is why we've gotten these this certain reaction of like um <laughs> i feel like we're having all the doctor strange discourse like three weeks late sure like, <laughs> the, this this reaction of like oh should it you know should doctor strange have been rated r or something um is the pg-13 rating i think the no, this is clearly a PG-13 movie, but I think the issue is that Marvel movies have made parents comfortable with bringing eight, nine-year-olds to PG-13 movies, and here's yeah. one that's like actually a PG-13. Yeah, uh, this was, a, I, I don't know if there's a term, uh, hard PG-13, but this was kind of, this was kind of there, it was kind of yeah. pushing it. And I can guarantee you the rough cut was R you know <laughs> sure so, but they probably cut it down to pg-13 but yeah i mean when you look at the ranges too like if you look at the movie the ant-man movies 
Mm-hmm. I mean, those were PG movies. There, there was nothing yes. 13 even about them. And, uh, but for marketing reasons, everything kind of has to be in that PG 13. Otherwise it looks like a kid's movie. If it's PG, well, then it's, it's, Oh, then it's not edgy enough or it's not the teenagers won't come or whatever, but you know, it's a PG 13 is a very broad rating. And, you know, and the Marvel stuff has gotten darker in parts like, you know, winter soldier was, was fairly violent and dark. So I think, you know, to, to think that every Marvel movie is going to be Iron Man or Ant-Man. I think you got to rethink that a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it, this is uh, this past week was uh, the week that I talked about the, uh, the the new studio era of the 1980s in my film history class. And a big part of that was talking about the, the PG-13 rating. And it's like this this changed mainstream filmmaking like the the certainly in the last 20 years. Uh, but really since the creation of the PG 13, the majority, I would say maybe even the vast majority of like the highest grossing films are PG 13, because right. you're right. If it's PG, there is an, now, especially now that the 13 exists, um, there is this mentality. It's like, well, that's for kids. But of course, an R rating is too limiting as far as an audience, whereas PG 13 is like, all right, this is something that adults can see and younger people can see. And, you know, even though it says PG 13, yeah, we'll let eight year olds in because who gives a shit? Um, right. But uh, and yeah, that's where that's that's where the money is made, with the exception of, you know, the PG 13 like has to be where the money is made so that when Deadpool or Logan come out, it's like people are like, oh, this is an actual R rated film. How exciting. Uh, and and it's a little bit, you know. It, it's the exception that proves the rule. Uh, not like it's not setting up a new model uh, that, that movies are going to uh, well, adhere to. It, it sounds right. like the way you're framing it, we're going to hear Chris talking about the PG 13 rating on adventures that change history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says some of the uh, dialogue gets a little saucy. I will, I will sure. some of, you know, when we're talking about uh, disco balls and things like that, but, uh, but it is, um, you know, as you're saying, like, it, it's such a broad rating. If you look at like, you know, PG 13, Ant-Man and the grudge are both PG 13. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and, and, I suppose it's, I suppose it's fine, but at the same time, like it's, it's a rating that really, it's like, it might as well not exist. It might as well just say it, it's like, I mean, this is how it started. Cause I think Spielberg like actually like petitioned the MPAA to create the PG 13 because he didn't want temple of doom to be rated R. And so like the rating itself exists for the purposes of selling movies yes, uh, as sure. opposed to the other ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Wait, but was anyway. it Temple of Doom? <clears throat> what was the first PG-13 movie? Was it Temple of Doom or was it? I, I always thought no, it was Red no. Dawn. No, Temple it, of Doom caused it. Yes, that and <laughs> that and Gremlins oh, are what caused. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then Red Dawn, I think, is the first PG-13 movie to have been released. Is that, I think so. I think that's that a great like, question because I, I remember great. Dreamscape coming out as P, one of the first PG-13s. That's a movie that very obscure no one saw but i remember seeing the rating thinking oh i don't i don't think i don't remember this rating before we talked about (laughs) Uh, it is it is red dawn yes Mm -hmm. yeah uh and yeah dreamscape is pg-13 we talked about dreamscape on of all things uh when we did our profile on the career of max von sidow oh (laughs) (laughs) because he's 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 in dreamscape what a great career that guy's had yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, now I had, uh, oh, oh sorry. Ahead. No, I was going to, uh, we've been going over an hour, so I was going to have an eye towards, uh, oh, that's wrapping true. up. Um, but, uh, if you have more to talk, well, I was going to, I was going to ask, uh, Chris, have, have you seen anything 
that maybe, you know, obviously like the three of us have seen Dr. Strange. A lot of people have seen it um, and they have ample opportunity to see it. Um, but uh, have you seen anything, whether in theaters or otherwise lately, that uh, maybe isn't quite as well known that you think people would that, that you really liked and that you think people should see? Um, you know, there was uh, it's it's been a lot of TV stuff stuff i've actually been been seeing okay. but um as far as movie wise go I, I had a couple comments i wanted to make on um the the lost city is that oh, okay, okay. Saying right? because okay. that was a really interesting movie I, it wasn't great but it did right. remind me of remember when you couldn't wait for indiana jones to come out and then romancing the stone came out just to kind of like tide you over <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> I yeah. felt like this was kind of like, well, this isn't going to be a great movie, but it'll be something to tide me over until something better comes along. But yeah. uh, when I was watching this movie, I always think sometimes too, like, what were the intentions and what were like the studio notes towards this movie? Like, is it this final product is obviously not how it started. And I, I thought about like Pretty Woman when Pretty Woman was a super dark script, but then when the yeah. studio got it and then they lightened it up and it was a huge success. I feel like this script I mean, I haven't read the original script, but it it probably deconstructed things a little bit more and was probably a little bit darker about like a, a romance novelist and how her life was kind of falling apart. And I felt like there was a lot of potential for it to be more biting satire about yeah. like how this these products are consumed the um the fantasy that's selling to women constantly the woman who hates herself that's making it and you know the vapid models and the men that ultimately um are are, are selling the fantasy as well and then somebody comes along and is actually real and finds like a, an actual city so i felt like it was a completely missed opportunity in this film, like uh, to actually dig a little deeper and be a little funnier and do all of the things that I have a feeling that was on the, the uh, table at the beginning. And then just it kind of got watered down as the process went, but now I'm speculating. I don't know that for sure, but it felt that way from watching it. Like I was watching it. I'm like, I don't know if this was the original intention of this film. Yeah. I, I reviewed it for the, for the site and you know, I, I laughed and I, I, mm-hmm. I think the two leads have a tremendous chemistry. They're both, I've always, I, I thought they're both very likable in, yeah. in other projects and they are here. It's not a, it's not a bad movie by any stretch, but it definitely is like going in. And, and as you, as you mentioned, like the setup, it really feels like they're, they're headed a certain way. And then it really does just feel like it's like, yeah, but these leads have so much chemistry, right? Let's just focus on that. It's like, well, you could do worse than that. (laughs) Sure. Um, But at the same time, like it feels like it could have been. And I know that, you know, the movie I'm about to reference was also a little bit uh, 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 changed by the studio. And that's Galaxy Quest. Like Mm -hmm. Galaxy Quest is a movie that like sort of satirizes, yes, Star Trek, but also a certain kind of nerd culture while also affirming it in its own way. Right. And it feel it felt like that's where this was going. And it does have this moment of like characters saying like, well, these books that you write that you hate, like mean a lot to me. It's like, okay, yes, that's, that's a, you know, as far back as like Sullivan's travels, like that's a, that's a, a conversation that's been had. And it mm-hmm. felt like it wanted to go further in that direction. I would right. agree with you. Well, uh, right. And then it just kind of gave up on that discussion yeah i I agree galaxy quest is one where i I don't think we don't have to speculate we know there was a darker script they actually shot Mm -hmm. it and then in the edit and reshoots they they made it yeah but the one the speculation one i don't know (laughs) if anyone remembers this movie does does anyone remember 
1999 Hugh Grant, Gene Triplehorn, James Caan movie, Mickey Blue Eyes. Of course. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know why that. I said, of course. That's yeah. <laughs> I just watched it last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of speculation, I'm convinced that was written as a pitch black comedy. Hmm. And then I think it became like, we got Hugh Grant. We need to make this a more traditional like yeah. rom-com. But if you watch it, there are hints of the, of, of the movie being a, like uh, a, a movie about a guy who gets over his head and actually gets like involved mm-hmm. in murdering people and stuff. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> the premise is that, that he's mm-hmm. romancing a mobster's daughter and ends up having to like pretend to be a connected like mob mob guy. Uh, the movie's it's... kind of a, kind of a mess, but if you watch it, there's like, there's elements that are like super dark in that movie that I think, Right. Probably got taken out of the, the script. I often wonder, I mean, you hear about this all the time, especially from a, from the writer's perspective, where like they write a very specific movie in a very specific genre and the studio clearly saw something in it, which is why they optioned it. But then it's like, all right, let's develop this small side thing or really anything that could be considered more mainstream. Let's just do that. Uh, and then if you're the writer's like, look, I'm glad I got paid and everything, but uh, this is not at all what I intended. And, you know, film's a director's medium, so I'm fine with that, but I I imagine it's probably pretty sad (laughs) and discouraging for the writer. I mean, there's a million stories like that. I remember the creator of The Crow, remember that super dark comic that uh, he said, yeah, the producers first came to him and wanted to make a musical. And he was like, what, are the, what the hell are you talking about? But, but to, to, to go back to your original question, the one of the movies that I absolutely loved, it was a couple months ago. And uh, it was one that not a lot of people saw that, although it wasn't, I can't say it was under the radar because it was nominated for an Academy Award was Drive and uh, uh, Drive My Car. And I absolutely um, loved it. It, it was almost like a travelogue of Japan. It was like a history of Japan. And it was this quiet um, human drama that referenced everything from uh, plays to, you know, the human connections that people are making and this, this quiet silence that every character was kind of engaging in. But one of the things I found about watching it, you know, during, you know, the, essentially the pandemic, because I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll have to go to the movie and see this. But it was on HBO Max. So I got to see it and it was a super long movie and it's a super quiet movie and and it's subtitled. So I found I actually enjoyed that movie a lot more by breaking it up into like, you know, two or three different sections and watching it like a miniseries because three and a half hours of a lot of characters doing monologues, because since it was about a play, a lot of characters were literally doing monologues and talking and then you have to read them because they're subtitled. Um yeah. I could focus and really pay attention to it more by breaking it. And I can't believe I'm saying this, breaking it up into hour long chunks or, uh, or, you know, 40, 50 minute chunks, because then I could really focus on the characters and the monologues and all the subtext and everything that was kind of going on. Whereas I know if I watched that two and a half to, or it was even longer, I think it was like three and a half hours, something like that in a uh, movie theater, I would have drifted probably mm-hmm. in, at hour two. So I remember that's something that people said about the Irishman um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when that came out. Cause I mean, of course it got a theatrical run, but it was a Netflix film. Yeah. And I remember there are articles written about like, Hey, here's, here's the best place to stop the Irishman <laughs> and then pick it up the next day. And then here's the best, like here, if you were to watch it in four parts, here's, here's how to do that. Right. And I remember thinking like, 
it's like, you know, I, that is definitely a, that is a, a conversation for the streaming age because Mm -hmm. that's not something no one would say that if, uh, if it were purely theatrical, it's like, okay, uh, buy a ticket, watch it for an hour, (laughs) come back tomorrow, Mm -hmm. see if you can finagle your way back in. Um, and, and I do think going back to something you said a while ago, it's like, that is one of the things that, that I do think, um, that one of the ways that I think the the pandemic and streaming in general uh, impacts the way we watch movies, which will impact the way movies are made. Um, yes. I like, and I'll say, I'll, I'll say this, if I might uh, self promote once again, um, the second oh, documentary, <laughs> the second documentary that I made, which was very well reviewed by our own David Bax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's two hours and 20 minutes. Now I didn't intend to do that, but it just kind of worked out that way. And I was like, well, you know what? What the hell? Uh, I'm a, I'm a windbag. Let's just hope people like it. Uh, and it got, you know, it got some, some nice written reviews, but even a couple of those written reviews said like, well, this is streaming on such and such streaming service. Um, so like some people even recommended that you like split it up because two hours and 20 minutes is a long, it's a long time for what is essentially a video essay. And so even though that is not at all, that was not my intention at all. I also kind of get it. And like it recently it's played at a few film festivals and recently it played at a, at a festival at a nine fifteen time slot PM. Oh. And it's like, I'm like, I'll bet there are not as many people at the end of this <laughs> as there are at the beginning. And I was correct. Yeah. I had a really, from my little, from my little table uh, where I was selling uh, my books, um, I had a real good view of, of, the, of the, the room where it was playing. And I saw a couple people walk out, uh, not because, and they, they emailed me later because I think they saw me seeing them and uh, they said, Hey, I went back and want and finished it but it was just a little bit too late and a little bit too long and i was like well i guess i can't blame you but yeah so like so even when you even have like film critics saying hey maybe you should split this up it's like okay yeah this like streaming really the idea of of stopping and starting when you want like that really is starting to like become not necessarily the new norm, but that's definitely part of the conversation now. Yes. Um, and that's kind of in some ways discouraging, but in other ways, like it's just kind of the way it, the way it is right now, I guess, and, and probably it, will be. Well, especially if you're over the three hour mark, you deserve that yeah. discussion. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're not in danger of going over three hours here, but before we get close to that, we should probably start, start wrapping up. Sure. Um, uh, I've been able to see, uh, less and less of Chris's face. He is in the valley as, as a, as a person, he is fading out. Yeah. 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 Like Marty McFly's brother. Yeah. Yeah. My my energy level and my lighting go down at the same time. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for being here, Chris. That was great. Uh, catching up with you guys. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Really fun as always. Um, and it's, uh, it's called, uh, white cats, uh, what is it? White cat entertainment, white cat entertainment. That's kind of the, the website hub where you could go there and get, you know, subscribe to the podcast buy graphic novels. You could even buy quiet journeys of professor Atwood blanket. So there, there's oh. merch there as well. Oh, that's and, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's, you know, mugs and uh, you could join a mailing list. So all the stuff is there for sure. See me on socials uh. and stuff. 
Next up, a sleep mask that says, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be great. Uh, Some yeah. sleepy time tea. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, well, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. So you can find uh, reviews of some of the movies we talked about today and lots of other movies and, and links to other podcasts. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Follow me at Davy Pretension and also check out my other podcast, which I do with my wife, Natalie. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. We watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. We are, uh, we are into season three now uh season three episode two of each which means we just watched the whole premise of the show is that i'm like a friend's newbie but there's a lot of friends in the culture even i was familiar with one of the most famous episodes of all time the one where no one's ready uh and it lived up to its reputation i've never actually seen the episode in full before lived up to its reputation it's a great episode we talked about it this week on the podcast uh you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension tyler what do you have to plug it could, can I already did. Left? I already yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, Chris, you mentioned White Cat Cinema. Do you want to give out your your Twitter or, or anything else like that? Sure. Um, and the, the podcasts are What Are You Watching? And uh, The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood. And I'm at Chris J. Mancini on Twitter. And then you can follow the company's Twitter feed is new. So there's not as many people on it, but it's at White Cat Stories. White Cat Stories. Well, thank you again for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, at home. Thank you for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 